Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, I am Sebastian Teotrio. I'm Alex Hollingsworth. Welcome to The Hidden Curriculum. A podcast where we talk about all the stuff you didn't learn in graduate school. Hey everyone, I hope you had a great week. We are excited to bring you this episode today. Um, Sebastian, I've got a question for you. You're going to open up a cheap pizza place. You only get three toppings. What's your three toppings? Okay, this is a good question. I like it because I love pizza. So I think I have to go with pepperoni because, you know, it's a crowd pleaser and I do want to make money. Um, Mushrooms for sure for my vegetarian friends Um, and well, vegan, I guess, but like, you know, cheese. And then I think the third (laughs) topping um is i'm trying to think if the third topic it wants i want it to be something exciting or something like olives you know which are a little bit more controversial um i'm gonna what is that I went, uh. yeah some people don't like them i like olives um i like olives but it's the third topic i'm trying to think what's what's uh while i'm thinking of the third topping you should answer the question all right all right so if I'm going to do three, obviously pepperoni, I think you answered that one correctly. Yeah. Mushrooms, yeah. sure. All right, I'll take it. And now I'll just have, I'll have a competing pizza shop where I have jalapenos. Oh, okay. So now I'm going to get the drunk college student. Right, sort of right. And then while, you, while you're still thinking of your third, we can ask Lindsay. Lindsay, you're opening yeah, up a cheap Lindsay. pizza place. Three toppings. What do you have? Ooh, okay. I, I'm going to open a pizza place that is strictly vegetarian. So okay. specializing. Uh, so the three toppings for for my pizza place are uh, green peppers, onions, and banana peppers. Mm. Like it. All right, Sebastian, yeah. what's your third? <sighs> it's hard. Um, I think I will go with vegetarian bacon. Done. All right. Yeah. So now you're you're competing with both of us. Yeah. Uh, Multi market. Yeah, it's, it's complex. One of my favorite pizzas is in New Haven. There's a place called Bar, and their pizza is mashed potato and bacon, and it is so good. And it doesn't hear that it's gonna be good, but it is so good. So yeah, bacon, bacon is good in pizza. I, I love it. And and as you may have heard, our special guest today is Lindsay Bollinger. Lindsay is an assistant professor at the School of Public Policy at Georgia Tech. She looks at how public policies affect children's family's health and general uh, well-being, especially among low-income uh, groups. And Lindsay is an O'Neill School alumni. Ooh. So cheers, <laughs> Lindsay. She's doing awesome out All there. Right. Lindsay, what's how, it, what's the doing? O'Neill cheer or the chant or whatever? Lead for the greater good. Oh. <laughs> what we say? I don't know. That's our like motto. What about for Indiana? What is the mascot or the team? <laughs> it's lame. The, oh, okay. <laughs> The so Hoosiers. Lindsay, explain our, the, yeah. we're, we're the Hoosiers. Oh, the Hoosiers. Gotcha. But it is, like a person from Indiana. I, it's just an Indiana person, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, Lindsay, we always ask our guests to share a fun fact about themselves. So, other than your vegetarian pizza place that you're planning on opening in the near future in the greater Atlanta region, uh, what's that you can share about yourself? 
Yeah. So when I started graduate school, uh, I sort of got smacked in the face right away with a ton of stress. And so I needed to find a very inexpensive um, hobby that would also contribute to de-stressing. So I started running long distances in my very first month of graduate school. And once I got, once I learned how to get into the running zone or experience the runner's high, it was a meditative activity for me. So Throughout graduate school, I ran 18 and a half marathons and one full marathon. Wow. And uh, in addition to running, yeah, well, the, the marathon was kind of a mistake. Um, so I did that literally the weekend after my uh, first set of exams in the PhD program. That's crazy. Uh, I don't recommend that. Uh, so both your body and <laughs> mind to, were just yeah. exhausted afterwards. Oh, yeah. I was, and I didn't have time to appropriately train because in the last three weeks I was just studying and um, as a result I I was not prepared to run a full marathon Uh, (laughs) I called called my my partner at mile 22 and said if I ever tell you that I want to do this again I need you to remind me of this moment right here (laughs) (laughs) and uh, he stuck to that so no more marathons for me um, so in addition to running, I'm also a certified Pilates and yoga instructor wow. and during graduate school, I, yeah, I taught, uh, yoga and, uh, I taught some classes at a yoga studio. It was sort of like a side hustle for me mm-hmm. and both were really good. They helped me sort of maintain that balance of mental health, uh, during, during a very stressful time, especially early on in graduate school. Do you still run and <laughs> do you still run and do yoga? Um, up until I moved to Atlanta, I did, um, okay. but a lot changed when I moved to Atlanta and I do other things instead of running and yoga, but I do still have a pretty high emphasis in my life on staying fit and staying active, but there are other things now that are more conducive to family life. Awesome. So before we dive into today's topic, uh, we always like to ask our guests to talk about uh, some work, a paper, a project, or anything that they want to promote. Um, so love to give the floor to you to share that. Great. Um, so one of the major lines of my research agenda is, is uh, understanding the economic determinants of child abuse and neglect. And so early on in the pandemic, Anyone knows who anyone who knows anything about child abuse and domestic violence was immediately sort of concerned about the the mix of all of the different factors that were that were occurring. And so I decided pretty early on that um, I wanted to be in this literature, and I felt like I had an obligation to quickly get research out on child abuse and domestic violence. So I've been a part of several different projects with co-authors focusing on measuring how child abuse and neglect and domestic violence have been affected by the pandemic and evaluating whether some of the initiatives that uh, some local governments and other programs have effectively buffered against the the risk. So, um, for example, some papers look at 911 call data, others look at child maltreatment report data to child protective services agencies, using hospital records data, and using some survey data. So these papers have moved pretty quickly. So they're almost finished and almost all of them have been either sort of in the publication route um, and many of them have been accepted for publication. So this is what I spent a lot of my time on. Thank you. Yeah, it's been uh, a lot of time in the last eight months (laughs) working on this. I've actually, I'm pretty sure I've 
I saw you present one of these two papers in an early stage. Um, and this is, you know, often when people study health topics, the congratulations comes also with a big shock because the, the thing that we're learning is often very scary. Um, can you share the, the findings, the, the sort of key takeaways of these two papers? Because they're pretty alarming. Yeah, absolutely. So um, in one paper, what we're seeing is an increase in domestic violence calls. Um, so these are, you know, 911 calls reporting domestic violence. Um, in another paper looking at uh, child abuse and neglect referrals. Um, so importantly here, many of the referrals that come to child welfare agencies are uh, from teachers. And so with schools being closed, we've seen child maltreatment reports plummet. Um, however, using some really cool cell phone data, cell phone tracking data, um, we see that places that stayed home more actually experienced higher rates of supervisory neglect. So children are being left unattended uh, more, more often. And this is consistent with what we're seeing in the hospital records data too, but that's a little bit more preliminary. And by the way, for our listeners, uh, we will obviously put the links to the papers, but Lindsay has also written like a somewhat like uh, summary piece article on the AshiCon newsletter, and we'll put a link to that as well. All right. So now let's dive in a little bit into your workflow. And I'm very excited about this because I, in full disclosure, I am a co-author of Lindsay and I am extremely impressed on how awesome she is to work with. So Lindsay, can you walk us through what your day-to-day workflow is like? And this is kind of like, you know, when you start your day, what do you do and how do you, when you're starting your work, what do you know what to work on? All of, the, all of that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, this, I'm a, I think I'm a bad person to answer this question. No. Uh, because I, 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 I think disagree. My, yeah, I disagree. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, my strategy is really simple. And so I guess maybe on the other hand, that actually makes me a good person to answer this question. I'm, I'm not really sure. But um, so my philosophy is, consistent with most things in my life is to just be really generous with my time, but also um, always pay myself first. Hmm. And so um, I I use this saying a lot in my yoga and Pilates classes um, that you cannot pour from an empty cup. So you Hmm. sort of have to take care of yourself and your projects first before you can start giving away all of your energy and resources. So with this in mind, the very first thing I do every single day is exercise. Um, Hmm. Every single day, wow. weekends, work days, unless there's some unexplained reason why I can't, uh, why I can't do it. So it really helps me get into the right mental framework for, for each day. Mm-hmm. And even though it's not necessarily directly related to how do I accomplish project X or, you know, whatever it is I'm working on, it makes me more focused and more productive throughout the rest of the day so that, mm-hmm. um, that, that really helps with sort of just getting the rest of the right. day done. Right. Um, and also, especially lately, you know, it, it could be the only thing that gets done in a right. given day. <laughs> you know, I feel like we're, we're at a point where sort of staying accountable and staying motivated to get work done is right. a little bit harder. Um, and so it might be the only thing that, that I And um, how long is your, in the day. your exercise sessions? Could be 20 minutes, uh, could be 40 minutes. Okay. Usually I don't have much more time than that, but... Um, I, I usually just do like a home video workout or something just to get my body moved in sweat. Um, then I always check my email on my phone and, oh, I don't love this habit about myself. All of the 
professional development, personal development stuff. Right. So don't do it. But I can't not check my email first. You gotta in the like morning, that Instagram. So. You gotta like my post, Lindsay. You haven't liked my post in a while. <laughs> I don't think she said she checks Instagram. I think she's <laughs> what a See, I do, I do get an email about your Instagram updates though. Okay, so <laughs> so I do I do see those. Yeah. Yeah. At least that's not your next <laughs> tip, right? Like, well then I spend two hours on Instagram and an hour on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. And I try not to 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 check Twitter uh first thing in the morning because that that's a rabbit hole. Um but it's mostly just a, a quick skim. Like is there anything that I have to address today that I need mm-hmm. to move on to my to-do list and um, it's not usually the case, but I feel like I, I need to check up. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, I, you know, just in general, I try to keep research and teaching as mm-hmm. separate days. So um, I, I feel very strongly that switching costs are, are so real. Right. And it takes a lot mm-hmm. for me to think, to, to switch the way I think about different um, projects and different tasks and um, aspects of, of, a, of my job. So um, I teach on two days a week. And so I try to have office hours and student meetings and teaching prep on those days and then research days for the other, uh, the other days. And, th- you know, this works better um, on some days than, mm-hmm. than others. And I can imagine that this is also more challenging as one progresses throughout their career. But uh, for now, it's, it's, uh, it works for me. And just a, um, so- just a quick clarification, when you are you teaching, is the day that you dedicate yourself to your teaching the day before the class or the day of the class? Well, I guess it ends. So right now I happen to be teaching in the afternoon exclusively. So I use the morning as teaching prep. If I teach in the morning, then I'll use the afternoon for the next class, like the, the you know, two days later mm. um, for teaching prep. Sorry. I, I would worry if you did the day before that you would lose the day before and the day of. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, um, if I teach an early morning class, I try to not prepare until like the night before or, um, wake up early or something like that to to get that time in. Yeah. So, uh, this works well for me now, but, um, I can imagine that this is harder for, for other people or, you know, as you have more things on your plate. Um, so at the beginning of every week, I set a plan for the week. I sort of have these weekly goals and every night um, I readjust that plan for the next day. Um, so I, I consult my calendar for meetings and other things. And um, I just use the app on my phone, the notes app on my phone. So I don't have a super fancy technologically advanced um, system here. I just sort of, you know, out the calendar for every day at the hour. Here's what I'm doing. You know, from nine to ten, I'm going to work on this. On you know, eleven to ten to eleven, I'm working on the next thing. And um, so it helps me stay focused. You know, and so that way, when I am actually in the moment, I just look at my phone and see what am I supposed to be doing right now. So you don't have the opportunity to waste the time on Twitter or to right. you know do other things that might be not uh, as productive. Do you use like a number of different notes? Like one is like big goals you're trying to accomplish for the semester or month. And then you make like a new one for each week and then one for each day. Or like, is, is, is it even that structure? Or is it just kind of like a big plain text file that like syncs across your devices? Yeah, I hate to admit it. It's just one big document <laughs> that's, that's sort of split out. 
Um, it doesn't seem very organized, but um, but somehow, you know, it works. My my question is going to be like, okay, let's say you set up your schedule and let's say it's, you know, four in the afternoon and a Friday and you have in your schedule to continue editing this paper and you really don't want to. Like, do you push yourself to do it or you make a decision? You know what? I don't want to. I'm I'm just going to take a break from this one. No, I, I do it. I finish it. Yeah. That discipline, man. I that's think, amazing. Yeah, I think that's the key to making this work, though, because um, it it hardly ever even crosses my mind that I cannot do what is on the schedule for that day. Right. I just right. have to do it. <laughs> you're, you're, that I, like, completely, utterly lack that discipline. Like, that's amazing. I, I like, so quickly will just, like, drag the, yeah. the, the appointment I made with myself to the next day. I'd be like, I can't do this. Like, yeah. like you're, you're amazing. I mean, yeah, sometimes things take longer. I did them too. And so, you, you know, things flow over to the next day or, uh, you know, that certainly happens, but I have to make progress on whatever is in the time slot for that day right. during that time. Otherwise, uh, I feel like I've lost that time. And and how do you decide what are you going to do in a given project? Is it like on that weekly thing or or is it a day-by-day decision? So it's mostly a weekly. I, I, you know, I set my weekly goals, which are basically dependent upon what deadlines I'm facing or how timely or important, you know, a particular piece is or how, what other people need from me, um, how long a task is going to take relative to what the time slot might be, um, what things I can have students work on or what other co-authors are working on and really trying to figure out where the bottlenecks are in Mm -hmm. certain projects. Mm -hmm. Um, I try hard to do the hard stuff first because Mm -hmm. then everything else is sort of a, um, an easier battle. But, uh, if I only have a, a, you know, a tiny window of time, for example, like a 15 or 30 minute window, I try to fill it with something that can still be productive, but doesn't necessarily require a whole lot of investment cost up front mm, to sort of right. get back into the data or the coding or the, the writing part. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are, you know, things like checking email, doing the, the preparation for a, a paper submission or uh, writing a cover letter, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, that's a great place to pause and shift to the topic of the day. So with Lindsay, we're planning on talking about managing a family while working and specifically managing kids, which I know a lot of our listeners may already have or think about having. So in order to get things started, can you share a little bit about your journey from maybe graduate school to on to your professional life as a professor with how family dynamics have uh, intertwined with, with our lives, with your life? Yeah, absolutely. So I did not have any children throughout graduate school. And let's see, I defended my dissertation in March and I had a hooding ceremony on a Thursday in May. (laughs) And then three days later on the Sunday in May, my first son was born. And I won't lie, the timing was pretty perfect. (laughs) Um, But it does mean two things that uh, some, particularly in the academic mm-hmm. world, might find risky. Yeah. So the first is that I went on the job market 
pregnant. And towards the end, I was very visibly pregnant. Um, And then the second is that I started my current tenure track position with a three month old baby. Wow. Right. And, and yeah, so a quick question about that. Was there anyone that was advising you to like, try to hide the baby, even though it's going to be super obvious. <gasps> really? She's, she's not in, by the way. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, there is a documented motherhood penalty, particularly in academia. And, uh, and I think, you know, people who provide advice on this are, are really trying to be in the best interest of, of the candidate. Mm-hmm. And, um, in some ways, that's good, right? Like they're trying to look out for for those students on the job market, for example. But on the other hand, like people need to do what's best for them. And right. so for me and for my family, that was the right time. And uh, and so we we made that choice. Um, mm-hmm. I think that yeah, the biggest thing is that you know nobody tried to tell me when to have a child or. <laughs> Um, suggest, you know, uh, and also many people oftentimes can't control that. So um, for us, it was, I had, you know, somebody just say, I'm never going to tell you when you should have a child, but my only advice is don't be visibly pregnant on the market. So, uh, wow. So I, 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 I took that into, I took that into consideration and decided that wasn't going to work for me. So I, I will say when I was a graduate student, I did receive advice on when to have a kid. Like I remember like being in somebody's office and them telling me, and it was really? like totally from a good place. And I, I didn't take it in a bad way, but I definitely like afterwards, I was like, well, that was like a really, it's kind of an awkward conversation. I wasn't even married then. I was like, I, I'm not thinking about kids now. Right. I got a lot of specific advice. We we just had a uh, Travon Logan and he was saying something that I think is stuck with me, which is, you know, advisors and mentors, they're going to, say things to you but it's all free disposable right so like even when they say this stuff they think maybe you know whatever good intentions and all of that but you you can dispose this right you can and this is what's important i think what about Lindsay was saying like you can choose what's best for you um and you can talk to you and your partner um about it but um anyway so you went into the you know job market pregnant and you still got a fantastic job so congratulations to you even with you know what a motherhood penalty that some people say it was so that's that's great so talk a little about you started the job with the three-month-old was there any accommodations there or you just have to like dive into teaching and all of that yeah so um there was an accommodation i was very fortunate that my uh current institution was um very accommodating. So importantly for for my context here, um, my partner was finishing up a program in Indiana at the time. And so my entire first year as a professor at Georgia Tech, I actually lived in Indiana um, while my partner was finishing Mm. up. So Mm. um, that's great. I I then flew down to Atlanta one day a week to teach my class and then oh, flew back wow. to Indiana. Oh um, but that meant that my family was able to remain together in Indiana. So right. uh, very helpful. And, uh, you know, they were all very supportive. My colleagues were all very supportive of my desire to be with my family. Are you like a Delta medallion holder now? <laughs> Um, no, I actually flew Southwest most of the time and I did get companion pass as a result nice. of that. But of course now, um, you know, the companion pass. It's a useless year to have a companion <laughs> pass. <laughs> it only, it only lasts for a year. It only lasts for a year. Yeah. 
Cool. So what what then now that you know we're in a stage where you're you're developing your family in, in, in the same physical location and you're past that hurdle, you know, so what are those some strategies that you feel like you have practiced to maintain that productivity while also living, you know, your greatest and best family life? <clears throat> yeah, so I think important context for our conversation is that my partner is a medical resident in a seven year program and his Oof. normal schedule yeah it's a long a long program especially because he had already just done an eight-year um doctoral dual doctoral oh my program. gosh so much education <laughs> <laughs> yeah so his normal schedule now is that he uh leaves for work before my son wakes up and mm. he gets home typically after our son goes to sleep mm. so um wow. he gets he gets one day a week um, uh, off, right? And it could be random. It could be a Wednesday or a Thursday, um, and so that means the normal daily child rearing falls almost entirely on me, and wow. that his schedule, his unpredictable and uncertain mm-hmm. schedule, mm-hmm. is sort of familiar mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. us now. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I just want to note that Lin- Lindsay and I have lots of stuff in common. Like we went to Miami. Uh, we also have this in common. Uh, so my, my wife is a fellow, which is uh, like a resident with uh, no duty hour restrictions. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's pretty similar. And it can be in COVID times, I found it to be brutal when mm. particularly when, when childcare is not available. And it's just like, mm. like, like Brittany, my wife does so much and it's amazing, but like, man, it's definitely, <laughs> you know, I feel for people that are single parents. Cause you get just a small taste of it. Mm. Like your spouse is on call or spending overnight. Uh, that means like being away for more than 24 hours sometimes. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And during COVID, um, once childcare was no longer an option in Atlanta, we actually moved, we saw the, we saw that this was not going away anytime soon. And uh, we went back to Indiana and we were there for four and a half months, um, wow. sort of to I mean, wait, wait it out. I, d- I didn't know you were back because we wouldn't have hung out because of COVID. But I, d- I didn't know that you were back. <laughs> He's next. She's next door, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we never came back to Atlanta. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, as a result, we we just were not going to be sticking around while you know while the pandemic was raging. Uh, it was especially bad in Atlanta at the time, mm. and my partner was always in the hospital and school. My son's school was closed, so. Um, there was no chance I was, I was dealing with that. So that's important that you highlight that context, um, so which but to me, that means that you have a lot of experience in, in handling a kid while being a professor. So maybe what are, the, what are some of those things that you have in mind or strategies? Yeah, so, um, so I have one child and I carry most of the, almost 100% of the child care responsibilities. So um, some of these things, my strategies might be less realistic with more children, or they might be more realistic with um, additional help in the child rearing. Just get up but to five kids, you'll have more help. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Once they start, you know, taking care of each other, then, uh, then. <laughs> um, so the first thing that I would say is that I really love what I do. I love working and uh, whether, you know, whether that's, any part of the research process or whether that's teaching. It's just really fun to me. All right. So the second thing that I think is important in recognizing a strategy is that, um, and I I try to use this philosophy in a lot of aspects of my life, but work smarter, 
not harder. And this sort of means one thing in work life and another thing in family life. Mm. So on the work side of things, uh, this means making really good use of time and being efficient. So uh, for example, as we talked about earlier, um, just staying focused and staying disciplined on the work that needs to be accomplished in a, in a particular day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also being realistic about how long a task is going to take. And, uh, you know, that comes with time too, yeah. comes with experience, knowing how long something is going to take. Um, I'm personally terrible. <laughs> like it's so bad. Like I could get my best guess. And then like, I have to multiply it by three and that's like a more effective guess when I'm like, even knowing I'm going to do that. Like, how do you, do you just, are you like very good or do you just like make it happen in the time that you set aside? Two things. One is that I always budget more than I think I need sort of the, you know, multiply by three. So you overshoot. Okay. Overshoot. Yeah. And then, and then just make it happen in that time. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. work, right? It's but I, let me that way. And let me ask you a, a clarification question there. Let's say let's say the task is, you know, run whatever analysis. Is it do you feel and let's say like, you know, by by you say that you scheduled 3 hours, by hour two and a half, you, you think you have pretty much something ready, but do you want to explore something else? Like what I'm wondering is do you make a decision of like, oh no, I'm going to keep pushing to finish to to explore what I want to explore? Or do you say like, you know what? I've done what I needed to do. I'm going to cut it out. I'm not going to go through all this like little rivers of analysis that I could be doing. Oh, at that point, it's far too tempting. And I spend the next half hour doing okay. more. <laughs> That's good to know. Right, That's so good you're, to not, know. you're not an actual superhero. You're just like almost a superhero. <laughs> no chance. And, and again, this is, this is by necessity because there are so many other things that I have to do outside of work hours that right. I have to get things done. You know, I remember Sherry Gleed, actually, she was the one who said this when she came to give a seminar talk at, mm. at IU. She said, um, you know, when you, when you're walking the halls and people want to just shake her head, no, Mm-mm, go. mm. <laughs> like I have to keep going. Right. on what I'm doing because I have like a red sign on there like I cannot be talked to right now yeah exactly right. she just she would just shake her head no like I'm not going to engage in this conversation right now because I have to stay focused on what I'm doing right um and so you know the the clear and relatively rigid rigid schedule is important for achieving yeah. that goal because you know a, basically the full day of work needs to be accomplished in between the time that I bring my kid to school and the time that I pick mm. them up yeah. So another strategy, um, Sebastian, as you noted early in the episode, is that finding good collaborators is key. So <laughs> <laughs> finding people that you trust, you don't feel like you have to be, you know, micromanaging or, yeah. um, you know, you respect their work. And so you trust them to make decisions that, uh, and, and, you know, we don't always have to have a call to make a decision. That all makes the process more seamless. Also recently had a kid and also COVID happens. Like I can't like separately identify like what it's like a COVID quarantine effect versus kid. But like prior to having a kid and prior to COVID, I felt like I was really driving a lot of the projects I was working on. And now that I have a kid, I'm, I'm in this weird position where I am available a lot of the time for like text messages or emails, mm. but I cannot do work a lot of the time. So I can think about work a lot, but I can't like mm. a lot of my co-authors now are doing 
more than I'm comfortable with in some of the writing and coding and stuff, mm-hmm. but I'm communicating with them a lot still. Right. It's just like weird thing where I feel like I have more time on my hands to look at my phone, but less time to do work. <laughs> I, is that something you feel like too, Lindsay, and that like your previous good relationships with co-authors is like paying off now? I don't know if that's the right, that's, that sounds like too strategic, but like, like yeah, so, benefiting there. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with that. Um, and for example, my students all know that if they want to get in touch with me and need to get in touch with me um, after 4.30 or 5, they have to um and if it's urgent you know I'll respond but um I you know in terms of co-authors and and working on projects in this way um I my my co-authors generally know that like I'll do what I say I'm going to do and I'll do it when I say I'm going to do it it just might take a few days before I can add it into the you know into the block of time And so if it needs to be done right now, either I can make time or they're going to have to do it. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and so this is sort of to your point, Alex, that, uh, you know, I can text with you and think it through, or we can call and talk through exactly what needs to happen. But in that exact moment, I might not be able to code or to, uh, to do the writing or do the submission. You have here something about accountability and professional development strategies. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So sometimes this means, you know, I'm not always able to make the events that are off that are offered, uh, you know, through, through my institution, for example, because they are at five o'clock and I, I have to be the one to pick up my child or make arrangements to get, to get him from school. And so sometimes this means being creative in making my own opportunities, Mm. um, you know, whether that's mentoring or other sorts of professional development. Yeah. So, uh, so just for example, I'm part of a writing group. It consists of all junior faculty members across the country. Uh, most are in health economics, but we are, you know, every other month we each send a paper around to somebody else mm-hmm. and offer the feedback. And so you are always getting feedback and you're always mm. giving feedback every single awesome. round. And it's awesome. Yeah, it's Did you form the group amazing. or you were brought into the group? Um, this group I happened to form. That's awesome. A part of groups before where I didn't form them. Yeah. And it's a small enough group that we all can, you know, maintain accountability, but it's large enough that we get a different piece of, of work, uh, you know, every round. I just want to say, I, I like that quite a bit. I've been involved with, I don't know, maybe six to eight writing groups since I've been a graduate student. And I've never been in one that is with other health economists or other economists. Mm. And I found that like, we even did a few when I was in grad school, where we tried to provide feedback for one another. And it, it was not actually that useful of an exercise. Like I heard with a, uh, like an archival person getting their PhD to like become an archivist. And I like learned a lot and thought it was cool. But like my feedback for her was... I like would have been detrimental to her paper. <laughs> like I, we, so I don't know. I, I really like that idea of that, like subfield specific writing. Group. Yeah. What about on the working is smarter on the family side of things? Let's hear about that. Yeah. So this, this means something very different. So um, I have had to teach myself that short-term childcare is an investment in my future. Um, and this has been a hard thing to to sort of learn or, or um, practice mm-hmm. right. because I have a lot of mom guilt. 
Um, when, you know, when I'm not spending time with my son on the weekend, for example, or, um, when I have to go drop him off at, at members houses or something like that, or I have to call in, uh, childcare, uh, it helps me to think that, no, this is not just time that I'm not spending with my child. This is time that I'm investing in my career mm. and that I'm investing in the work that I do. And this will be, this is a long-term decision, not yeah. a short-term uh, sacrifice. So I, I feel similarly. And like, I, I really thought that this, I'm on paternity leave this semester. And I really thought like I would be the full-time childcare and we like wouldn't get like a caretaker and we wouldn't use daycare and like, Oh my God, I'm glad that that's not the status quo. Like, just like, I feel like it, that that is nearly unsustainable. And I felt really bad at first. Like, like I often will have, like, we have a nanny who's wonderful who will be in the house when I'm here. And I still spend a lot of the day with my child when she's here, but like, that's the only time when I get any work done. And like, it's, even though like I'm really trying to not have commitments and stuff. Like, I don't know if you had this experience, Lindsay, but like I get emails that are like, I know you're on leave, but there's a lot of those. And they're like from people that are like important when you're pretending, like, I feel like I need to engage and respond with this. Yeah, exactly. And you know, also to your point, I, I don't, when, when I'm with my child, I want to focus on him and I want to be present and I want to, I don't want to feel like I'm always thinking about work. And so if you just set aside, I have found that if I can just set aside, I'm going to do this for two hours and that's all I have. And, you know, because that's when the childcare is available and then I have to get back to to being mom instead of being professor. Um, And so it helps me to separate. It helps me to stay focused and it helps me to not feel guilty on either side of the equation. Sorry, going back to the point of outsourcing. So, you, do you do you still practice outsourcing in other aspects of your life that is not the commuting part? Yes, absolutely. So, I basically have time for work, and I have time for childcare, and then I have and other sort of house related things, um, and then I have a very small amount of time for myself, which I oftentimes use for exercising, uh, and that's basically it. Right. So, um, I don't want to spend my time doing chores that other people can do. So, for example, we use either apps or we hire Mm -hmm. out for um, house cleaning, uh, for yard work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like we don't own a lawnmower and we have a lawn. So (laughs) well done, well done. (laughs) Um, Groceries, we either get, we almost always get them delivered and then um, meal prep. So things like, you know, ordering out or, um, you know, finding good frozen options or good, meal prep options so because I, I never have time during the week to make food so um one of one of the things I wanted you to touch on is about this you know focusing on efficiency um and being creative uh, can you talk a little more about that yeah so um I mentioned working smarter and not harder and this sometimes implies a pretty heavy emphasis on efficiency and that and that's definitely true to a certain extent um but as researchers, a big part of our job is being creative and being innovative. And that doesn't always align with this focus or emphasis on efficiency. Right. So um, in my schedule, <laughs> I oftentimes will block out time to just like be creative. And that's awesome. <laughs> you know, that's not exactly how creativity works. <laughs> right. I'm going to sit down from 2 and 3 p.m. and come out with great ideas. Wait, I- 
but but so Stephen Pressfield has this awesome quote about from turning uh, from turning pro. I think his book. Okay. It's basically like when you want to become, when you want to move from being an amateur to being a pro and it's like, you might not be creative from 9am to 10am, but you want to be in an opportunity. If you are creative to have a pen in your hand, it's like, write mm. that thing down. Yeah, exactly. So like, I, I think like that, that's awesome that you're giving you the space yeah. for it to happen if it does. Yeah. And you know, um, so in one of my graduate classes at the O'Neill school, um, I listened to a podcast, uh, econ, library um russ roberts and it was this particular episode which was recommended by justin ross um was about the creative process in economics and about how uh you know your your best idea is going to come when you're taking a shower or when you're when you really turn your brain off and so Mm -hmm. that's really what i mean by this is i allow myself time to turn my brain off and I literally budget that in my calendar. This is time to turn the brain off and be creative. Right. And uh, you know, I was going to say, and go to sleep. Cause then I would be like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes that's what happens when you have crazy dreams that, that, that's uh, <laughs> that, that spark the creativity. Um, but you know, for me that what that sometimes looks like is just staring out the window or reading a new paper or going on a walk or, uh, listening to a podcast or just basically not committing to actually getting anything accomplished during this time, but allowing my brain the space to have the, you know, the opportunity to have the rambling thoughts and to, you know, think, oh, what happens if we do this? And then, you know, to this particular group of, of people, and that's how a research idea comes about. So, so when you do that, do you like, make sure you go for a walk or like, do like, I, I hear that like often, sort of as you alluded to like showering or walk or whatever, like you can sort of help generate those. Do you have like a thing you do during your like creative hour or is it just like whatever you feel like doing? Yeah. It's just whatever I feel like doing. It's literally like creative time, do whatever you want. That's bounce on a ball, uh, you know, color, <laughs> uh, adult coloring books are really fun these days. Um, just, just allow yourself the time to turn your brain off and not have to get something done. Um, and most of the time, admittedly, this is not super productive in terms of generating ideas, but sometimes it is. And so that, that's the, that's the important part. That's really cool. I, I like that a lot. Um, before we transition out, um, to our outro part, is there anything else you wanted to touch on, um, that maybe we haven't dig in too deep? Yeah. So the other thing is that there, there have been some very specific tools, not, I, I don't want to call them strategies, but they're, they're very specific action items that have been helpful in, you know, balancing work and, and mm-hmm. family. So for example, in Atlanta, we have, um, use which is an on-demand app where, um, area university students can get matched with quick turnaround care. So it's very similar mm-hmm. to like a care.com. Mm-hmm. And, um, this is, been really helpful for like odd hours and last second requests or when school gets mm. canceled for any number of reasons or mm-hmm. when the kid has a fever and can't go um, just go on the use it or care.com or whatever and get somebody to come for the day the other thing is that um, conferences are a really important part of doing research and I love going to conferences so um, however you know they're they're hard when you have family obligations yeah. So every time I travel for work, for example, I either 
um, fly grandparents in from across the country, or we need to hire overtime or overnight, uh, um, overnight nanny care. Mm -hmm. And I've never personally brought my child to a conference because I think that sounds terrible, (laughs) (laughs) but I know others who have, um, right. But, uh, you know, some organizations offer special help and assistance with childcare. And so I'm going to shout out here to APAM um, because they have uh, last year, I think was the first year that they offered it, but they're offering it again, the dependent care program, which helps to cover expenses of childcare while attending the conference. Yeah. And so last year that was super helpful because it paid for the flight for my uh, parents to come while I was in Oh, I see. So it's, it's they give you a subsidy and you can use that money however you want to to cover the child care expenses, provided right. that you bring your kid. Yeah. Gotcha. And That's they have some cool. limit and you have to apply, but the applications, you know, meet, meet very small, minor. Right. Right, right, right. Gotcha. Um, and then, you know, the other thing is I feel like on a podcast about family, I have to acknowledge that my parents and my in-laws have been incredibly helpful and supportive not only of me and my career, but also for my partner. And, you know, we're fortunate that they are able and willing to help out with childcare. Um, and they oftentimes come yeah. into town to do that. So yes, it's certainly a tremendous privilege, but I think what's important here is just that, that if this is a situation that someone finds themselves in that uh it's important just to find those people if you don't have parents shout out to abuelitos and abuelitas all around the world Um. (laughs) so every week we like to ask our guests for our recommendation of the week this could be anything from stata command to i think songs to people have recommended netflix shows anything uh anything that can improve our week what is your recommendation of the week Lindsay? okay so since two things have come up during this podcast one about children and one about uh, sort of my my desire to be physically active. I'm going to recommend something that my son has called work walks. Um, okay. <laughs> this has resulted uh, from the pandemic because he's around a lot more when I'm going on work walks. Oh, right. And he sometimes joins me during these uh, work walks, but this is something that Greg Duncan inspired um, when he visited IU when I was a graduate student during a seminar. And uh, I try to turn every meeting that I possibly can into a walk. So um, it helps sort of clear my mind, makes me think and focus more on the conversation at hand. I'm less distracted by emails. I'm less distracted by, let's just go run the code and see what happens. (laughs) I'm less Mm, distracted mm -hmm. by anything on the computer and I can just focus on the conversation. Um, And it also keeps, keeps moving. You know, I have a Fitbit and get 10,000 steps every day. That helps. Nice. Um, and, you know, particularly in the context of the pandemic, this means trying to reduce my number of video meetings and make them Mm. phone meetings. That's nice. That's awesome. That's a great recommendation. Alex, what is yours? But so I teach an introductory stats class and a thing that I struggled with is that I don't, I never really took a class in Bayesian statistics and I, I didn't really like understand all the nuts and bolts of it in a way that like, I could like, you know, explain it for five minutes and make it seem like I understood it, but I just didn't. Um, so I found this awesome book. Um, I forget how I first found out about it, um, but it's called Statistical Rethinking, and it is really just fantastic. And it's written by this uh, author called uh, Richard, um, I think it's 
McElreath. I'm not actually sure if that's how you pronounce it, but you could sort of find the spelling from my, uh, my butchered pronunciation. And he is like very into open science and R and stuff. And he has recorded a bunch of lectures of him teaching this class during like a sprint winter session that are available on his GitHub page too. So I actually like, I have a bike in my basement and like I watched them while I was biking. And like, I really learned quite a bit, even though it's sort of like an elementary stats thing and a lot of the stuff cool. I knew, but like the way he explained the central limit theorem, for instance, is just so useful that the next time I teach stats, I'm going to explain it this way. Hmm. Um, and plus, I feel like it gave me sort of a, a foundation in, in Bayesian concepts that, you know, I, I don't know, I, I think is important. So did us. you updated your beliefs about Bayesian? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you need a kid for that dad joke, Sebastian. <laughs> um, if our listeners did not laugh at that, then they, they don't, don't deserve the joke. <laughs> um <laughs> So my my recommendation of the week is to check out the app called Castro that is like Fidel Castro. So C-A-S-T-R-O. And this is a podcast app. And the thing that is different is there's only one thing that is truly different about this podcast app is that you subscribe to all the podcasts and you receive them as like inbox emails. And essentially you can decide per episode, do I want to add this to my queue or not? And so what's really cool um, is that you essentially, like sometimes, you know, I subscribe to a bunch of podcast apps and I don't listen to all of them. I feel bad because I have this long queue. So now I can like out of, you know, whatever many episodes that came out this week, curate the ones that I'm truly interested in and don't feel like I have this like long queue to listen. So check out Castro app. That is C-A-S-T-R-O. Thank you so much for being here with us today. If people want to find more about your work and what do you do, where should they go? My website. Uh, www.lindsaybollinger.com that's Lindsay with an E Bollinger with a U Lindsay with an E oh right because it could be without it not any but smart great well that's all we have for you folks today make sure you subscribe and leave us a review thanks for tuning in have a good week thank you thank you thank you